Listeners to episode 14 of the Ubered podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kale. For four years, I was a full time Uber and Lyft driver in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I gave more than 8,000 rides in that time period, and I wrote two books on the subject Ubered, My Life as a Rideshare Driver, and Ubered 2, both available on Amazon. Listeners, I came to form some very extreme opinions about some of those who entered my back seat. And although most were enjoyable personalities or enjoyable stories, Some people I really didn't like, and some people I downright hated. Previously, I had an episode called I Hate You. Well, guess what? I hated so many people that I couldn't possibly fit all those motherfuckers into one episode. So, this is I Hate You Part 2. These are the people where they got in my backseat. They didn't even say anything. And I just thought to myself, I hate you already. But before we get into the people themselves getting into my car... I'm going to talk about two aspects I hated just driving on the road, being on the road every day. Number one are cyclists. Minneapolis is the most bike-friendly, or one of them, in the country. Everybody here in the summer rides their bike, and there's even people that ride their bike in the winter when it's like right now, as I'm recording this, it is literally 20 degrees below zero outside right now. We're having this weird Arctic blast. There's a motherfucker I passed the other day on his bike. Like, are you out of your goddamn mind? What the hell are you trying to prove? The problem is, no, it is it is a great thing that people are reducing their carbon emissions. I am a very big proponent that this planet is fucked unless we do something quick and it's probably too late no matter what we do. I'm not a climatologist, but I would put money that over the coming century, we're going to see entirely new breed of storms like we've never seen before. I'm talking Category 6 hurricanes, F6 tornadoes. It might hit 100 degrees below zero in parts like Minnesota. I don't know. But there's, there's no doubt in my mind that there are extreme weather phenomenon that are taking place as a result of climate change, and we're fucked. But anyway, it is nice that people are reducing carbon emissions and taking steps to do so. But when you think that you are a car, and you are not a car, and you monopolize the road as if it was built solely for you and the cars are a secondary facet of the road... That's when we enter problem territory. Now, I flip open a news... Actually, when do I say flip open a newspaper? What am I, 70? I'll look on the local news, like the Star Tribune. I'll check it out, the website. And it'll say, cyclist hit by car. And it's like, okay, I'm sorry. That's natural selection. I don't feel any sympathy here. You should follow the rules of the road and bike conscientiously if you're going to bike. You should wear a helmet. You should not bike the wrong way down a one-way. You should not weave between lanes. You should stop for stop signs. You shouldn't wear headphones. These are all things that I would see the vast majority of cyclists doing. And it is so selfish that for their own comfort, they're putting their own lives at risk. And if another person takes their life, that other person's going to be punished. So here's the genesis. Here's the real genesis of my problem with bicyclists. I hit one, and I damn near killed one about 10 years ago. It was a Saturday night. I had just gotten off my college job at Macy's. I had my Z3. Uh, It was like a warm night. I had my top down. And I'm getting off of Highway 35W, turning onto University Avenue. Now, University Avenue is a one-way. So as I am turning onto University Avenue, I have a green light. Well, there is a bicyclist who is wearing all black, no helmet, no reflectors, nothing, biking the opposite way against traffic. And I didn't see this kid until I hit him. He shattered my windshield. I thought he was going to come spilling over onto my lap. He goes flying like a rag doll, and I'm like, you know, I slam on the brakes, and I realize this happens so fast, and I realize, oh my god, I just hit somebody, and I look, and he's not moving, 
And it's like, oh my fucking god, I just killed somebody. So I get out of the car, and like a crowd quickly forms, and like, I'm the bad guy here. So you know, they, they someone screams, "Get away from him!" And like the cops quickly show up, and they like scrape this guy off the pavement, and they take him away in an ambulance. Well, he, I didn't get in any trouble because I didn't do anything wrong there. He was biking against traffic, and so like the whole thing was his fault. So as I'm leaving the scene, because the you know the cops are like, okay, you know, he can go. The one officer. She puts her hand on me. I'll never forget this because I'm very shaken. She goes, don't worry. This happens all the time. Famous words. So now I hate all cyclists, and I myself will never own a bicycle. I will never ride a bicycle. Fuck bicyclists. And just driving around as a rideshare driver, I would see so, so many cyclists that were exhibiting this behavior of this guy that I'm telling you about that I almost killed. And so, like, sometimes, like, I would straight up shout at people, like, You are not immune from traffic laws! Stop at the red light! Or take those fucking headphones out! Or shit like that. And I noticed, whenever I would have an encounter with a reckless cyclist, like, I'd have to slam on my brakes because they would just come flying out of nowhere. It, they'd always, like, point at me like it was my fault. I would even see drunk cyclists. In fact, I almost ran one over on a Friday night. This actually, this isn't even a story that I want to talk about. But, uh, well, I guess I'm talking about it now. This, there's a cyclist in front of me as I'm taking a passenger uh, from downtown Minneapolis into northeast Minneapolis over, like, the Hennepin Avenue Bridge. And this guy is clearly drunk. He's trying to do some trick shit, weaving back and forth. And he just fucking eats shit and falls. And he's maybe 10, 15 feet in front of me. And I had to slam on my brakes to avoid running him over. I almost ran him over. So then I blared my horn, and he goes limping out of the, out of the lane. But that kind of stuff, I would see it constantly. So, cyclists, I call them the cancer of the road. Now, if you are one of those people that you bike to work every day, you follow traffic laws, you wear a helmet, you're not, like, you are conscientious of the world around you, you're not wearing headphones, then kudos to you. This is not directed at you. I'm sorry if I have upset you by ranting about cyclists, but the, the vast majority I observed are begging for death. Okay, and the other thing that I hated, meter maids. I ranted about them in a previous episode a little bit. I understand that they're just doing their jobs and that they're raising money for the city, but come on. There's a million other things you could do that would benefit the city where the title of your job, the description of your job, is basically just taking a dump on people. That is all meter maids do. I have gotten so many fucking parking tickets, not as a rideshare driver. It's actually very good at dodging them. Come to think of it, I never got a single parking ticket as a rideshare driver. But before, like, I would get, I would get tickets all the time in college, like parking my car for shit that's like, you're within five feet of a, a driveway when it's like, you know, I'm four feet away from it. I would see them measuring with a tape measure. And, like, you know, it's, it's a $40 fine. As a college student, I remember being so frustrated because I wasn't making very much money. I'd make, like, if I was lucky, I'd make, like, $200 a week. So $40, $50 of that on a stupid fine for parking a foot too close to a driveway, that kind of stuff, that's where my original hostility with them came from. But also, like, just, I would be downtown a lot, and I have gotten into arguments with them a few times. One time, one of them attempted to write me up for picking up passengers because, like, I, I stopped the vehicle for a second, and they, like, these passengers are getting in. And this, there was, like, a meter maid camped out. It was in front of First Avenue, the music venue. And there was a meter maid camped out waiting for somebody to do precisely what I did, just stop for a second and let people in the car. So before I even pull up, I see this meter maid has stepped out and is writing a ticket. And I put down my window, I yell, excuse me. And he, you know, tries to ignore me. I go, no, excuse me, come here. 
And he walks up. I go, what do you think you're doing? He goes, I'm writing you a ticket. I go, no, you're not. I have not committed any moving violations whatsoever. You are camped out here clearly preying on rideshare drivers. You know what? Let me take a picture of your badge number. I'm going to report you. So I took – like I flipped the tables on this guy. I took a picture of his uh, – whipped out my phone and took out a picture of his little badge. He stopped writing the ticket. And he went back in his little car. I never reported him, but I never got a ticket either. It was just largely – it was an unnecessary stressor, like having to worry about – uh, is there a meter made coming? Am I going to get a ticket? Because if I got one, that's I was trying to make $100 a day in profit. So there goes half my money. So many times I would see one coming and have to like quickly circle around the block and it would just create such an inconvenience. So meter maids. If you yourself are a meter maid listening to this, I would strongly advise you get into another profession. Surely there's something you can do that's not giving the masses a golden shower day after day. All right, we're going to shift gears here now. We'll start talking about some of the people. So one of my biggest fears, or like one thing that I just, I did not want to happen was for me to drive somebody that I knew, mainly because like, I was kind of embarrassed about it. Like I put so much on the line in terms of writing and like I had not bragged about it, but like people knew that I had put a lot into screenwriting and then I had been working on it for years. And so the fact that I'm still, I'm a goddamn rideshare driver and I've been working on this thing for so hard and I clearly have nothing to show for it. It was just embarrassing. And so people, if I did drive them, or if I did know them and I was driving them, they would want to know, like, what happened. Like, they would want to know, like, why am I doing this? Why am I not, like, living in L.A. or pursuing the screenwriting anymore? And so it just – it was a sore subject for me, and uh, it wasn't pleasant for me. So thankfully, I only drove people I knew a just a small handful of times. On trip 1,480, it was one person I really did not want to drive, though. So when I, before I was a rideshare driver, as I've, as I've recounted in this series before, I was working as a busboy at a hotel. Now, I came into this job through a friend who was working there as a manager. But this friend, it was great working with him for a while, but he, he's a wine expert. And he went to France to go study wine for a while. And so he left and they hired somebody else to replace him. And the guy they hired to replace him is one of the worst, most miserable human beings I've ever had the misfortune of knowing. I fucking hated this piece of shit. His name was Jason. I called him J-Bag. He was just such a fucking condescending, stupid asshole who had... He couldn't manage his way outside of a paper box, let alone manage this giant business in this hotel. I only worked with him for about a month and a half or so, and I complained about him constantly to the boss because, like, this guy would make so many classical mistakes as a leader that it was like, dude, have you ever managed anything before? How the fuck did you even get this job? I remember this one night. It was one of the last nights that I ever worked with him. It was fucking chaos at this restaurant because, like I said, he had no idea how to manage. So I had to step up, and I was I remember I was taking, like, drink and food orders because, like, everything was just so backed up. I had to step in and help. And this guy pulls me aside and reprimands me for stepping up and helping even though I am like the only glue that is keeping this chaos from turning into a fucking nightmare and I remember he pulls me aside he goes you are a bus boy nothing more so that pissed me off so much I got drunk I thought you know what fuck you okay you want to say fuck you to me I'll say fuck you back and show you you think I'm nothing then I'm going to really be nothing so this was the night where I got so drunk I couldn't drive home and the bartender set me up with Lyft. And this was how my whole rideshare career got started. Uh, the, the Lyft driver taking me home told me about how awesome it was. And, you know, I was so pissed off at this guy. I thought, fuck it, I'm going to jump ship and I'm going to do something else. This guy actually ended up getting fired about two weeks later. 
mostly at my behest because I was begging them to fire him. Even though I knew I was going to be leaving the job. I just, fuck this guy. He was such a piece of work. Anyway, okay, so now fast forward seven or eight months later. It's the summer. I've been driving for a while. It's like July, and I'm at this one of these luxury apartment buildings, and I'm waiting for Jason to come out. So whenever I would see the name of someone that I knew and I didn't like, I'd always think to myself, oh, please don't be this person. And this, I noticed this person, Jason, had a terrible score. The only reason I picked it up in the first place was I happened to be parked outside of their building reading a book, waiting for my next ride. So if I was parked outside of a place and, and I would get a call from, like, right there, that was kind of a best-case scenario because there's, there's zero dead miles in terms of going to pick up the passenger. So I accepted it, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And the back door opens up, and I hear a familiar voice say, Hey, bro, long time no see. Oh, my God. And I close my eyes, and I think to myself, Why? Why? I turn around, and I look at him. And sure enough, there in the flesh is this motherfucker I was hoping I would never see again. And he is a, he's, he's such an obtuse idiot. He is oblivious to the fact that I hate his guts. And so I'm sitting there looking at him with just murderous rage. And he's like, so, bro, what you been up to? What's going on? Give me the scuttlebutt. And it's like, like, I'm thinking, do I even want to drive you? Should I just kick you out? <sighs> There's no dead miles. He's only going to downtown. This is five minutes. His money's green. Fuck it. I'll, uh, fuck it. I'll fucking do it. So I'm driving him, and he's talking, and it's like in one ear and out the other. And I'm gripping the steering wheel harder and harder and i'm giving him one word answers for everything that he's asking and my my answers they go from being like yes no to like yes no well he's such a fucking idiot he doesn't even pick up on this and so he's telling me about his life and like i'm just like not listening i i hate this guy so much having his voice speaking in earshot is like about to make my ears bleed as we're pulling up to his destination he goes hey bro you got a card this is a sick whip and i paid mad money for another ride for and it's like my like I I'm just not even listening at this point. We pull up and I just turn around and go, No, have a nice day. And like he looks at me kinda of puzzled and he gets out. I gave him one star and I drive away thinking like, oh, fuck you. Fuck you, you fucker. So for all purpose sake, about a year later I read an article that he was in the wilderness after finding out he was HIV positive and he got struck by lightning and then wolves ripped him apart. So Yeah. At least he had some good. He fed he fed wildlife. Okay. Okay, let's not think about, let's not talk about JBEG anymore. Just even recounting that story gave me a headache. Let's talk about rudeness now. I got two stories for you that are pertaining to the subject explicitly. So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people were rude. You can't always fault them. It's not necessarily their fault. They may not know better. They may not have any manners themselves. Other people, it's just downright ridiculous. So, one thing that became a constant theme there's this restaurant called Birch Steakhouse, and I have railed on Birch so hard on so many different occasions, both in my books and on this podcast. It's the epitome of bourgeois fine dining, and it's like everything I hate about fine dining. And I do like fine dining. Believe me, I really do. But when it's portions that would make an anorexic person say, that's it, combined with a smugness that you can actually touch is physically tangible in the restaurant that's where you start to lose me. You know, like, that's kind of what I want to start making fun of everyone and saying, Oh my, how fancy. Yes, we are at Birch Steakhouse this evening with fine dining and fine company. Ha! Huh. <laughs> Bottom line, the vast majority of people that I would pick up from Birch Steakhouse, 
they did this thing I came to call the divide. Now, my car did not have a partition, okay? It did not separate front from back at all. My car was a regular sedan. It was not a limousine. I didn't have a limousine license. I didn't have commercial insurance. I'm an Uber car. It's a, it's a normal car with a normal driver. It's, it's an unregulated cab driver, okay? So the thing that I noticed with people I would pick up from Birch, they would treat me as if I was non-existent. They wouldn't greet me. They wouldn't say a word to me. They would talk to each other, lips carelessly flapping as if my plebeian ears couldn't process their wholly wealthy words. And sometimes they would reveal quite a lot. There was this one instance where I picked up a man, like very obviously a wealthy man and a woman. They weren't even going very far. It's like a couple blocks away to the Kenwood neighborhood in Minneapolis, which is like, it's probably the richest neighborhood in Minneapolis. The houses are millions of dollars. They're beautiful. So these two are going just a few blocks away to one of these homes. And they're talking to each other. They've clearly just had, it's a husband and a wife, and they've clearly just had some kind of like a business dinner or something. It was something where there was a lot of tension involved. And it was like some kind of a showdown at dinner. And the husband and the wife in my backseat won. And so they're talking like about this victory that they just had. But the way they're talking, it's like as if my ears, it's like as if I'm deaf. That was a good dinner, Lawrence. I think they got the message, the wife said. And then he says, oh, that prick got it all right. The look on his face when I said that, I don't know what comes next, but this was an unbelievably good night. We didn't have to come to threats. And then she says, if only they could see us laughing now. I wonder how they're spending the rest of the night. And then he says, Zach, come tomorrow. Well, let's just say Marvin's in for a rough night. We're going to burn him to the ground, darling. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I listening to right now? And so then she says back, what are you going to do? And he says, make some calls. I'll worry about it when we wake up. And then I pull into their driveway and they get out. And they're like, again, they just don't say anything to me. It's as if it's as if I didn't hear anything. So I'm just imagining if they knew that I would go on to write about whatever the hell this was. Well, as I finish this story, I warn people, the help is always listening. Okay, you can't assume that your Uber driver isn't going to report what happens in their backseat in some way or another. Maybe they have a diary like I did and they're recording it. Maybe they have a video camera going in their car. I've turned on the evening news so many times recently and seen this person, like celebrity under fire after running their mouth in an Uber. And then always, as always, it is reminded that there is no terms of service in terms of confidentiality when you get into an Uber. You say something, it's on camera. You know, the driver might get fired. They might write a book about it. They might put it on the internet in a video. They might do something. Just because they're the help doesn't mean they're stupid. So back to the original point, though, it was just, it's a level of rudeness. And I always hated that when I was viewed clearly just as the help and nothing more. But while we're talking rude, okay, there's one rude passenger that was so rude, so rude, she single-handedly ruined my opinion of the French. That bad. Trip 5,000. 500 is called the frog this is in the summer of 2016 it's an airport pickup it's the middle of the day it's about 334 somewhere around there so i've talked about the airport a little bit before the airport was always a nightmare the only thing that was good about it was the trips were generally long because like there's like nothing kind of close by to the airport and when i'm over by the airport which is in bloomington i want to go back to minneapolis and so most people coming in to the airport, we're staying in downtown Minneapolis, particularly business people. So generally, like I was pretty eager to pick up uh, people from the airport. The only thing that was a drawback was the ambiguity regarding the pickups. So for the first year I did Uber and Lyft, Uber and Lyft drivers were not allowed to pick up at the airport. There's this weird game that I would have to play 
where uh, customers could hail an Uber or a Lyft, but could, because officially they could not get into one, I had to pretend like I knew them. And so I would have them meet me at like more civilian areas, particularly at the drop-off spot instead of the pickup spot because the cops would be watching. And I would get out and I would hug them and like whisper in their ear, like play along. So finally, after about a year, uh, Uber and Lyft, they got an official space for pickups. But the thing was, the space that they acquired only had about five parking spaces. And there were a fuck a lot more than five drivers at a time. And because it's the airport, you have to park. This is post 9-11. You can't just be driving around. And so to get into this area where you could pick passengers up, you had to pay $8. That $8 was then reimbursed to you every week uh, in your weekly payout. But if you got kicked out of this area, you had to go pay for eight. You had to pay the eight dollars again. Like if there wasn't a parking spot, you couldn't just linger there. So you know, eight dollars out of that ride—that's a lot of money out of the ride if you got to pay for that. And if there was a customer no-show, then you just didn't get reimbursed for that eight dollars. You just you lost money on this trip. As you can see, there's a lot of flaws with the system. So on this particular day, there's nobody in the. I'm astounded. There's nobody in the parking area. I can just park and wait. The thing was, it was kind of hard to get to this area because I myself rarely travel and rarely fly, or at least back then I did. I couldn't really navigate people, like how to get through the airport to where the rideshare area was. So I'm picking up a passenger named Colette. I arrive, all is well, I'm waiting. I text her that I'm waiting. I don't like five minutes goes by. I try calling, she doesn't answer. And so then, like, you know, after about seven minutes, my phone rings, and it is a heavy French-accented woman who is quite clearly pissed off. Like, where are you? I'm looking for you. I don't see you. And I'm like, okay, there's a special area. Uh, you need to come to me. And she's trying to tell me, no, you need to come to me. I'm at this door here. And I explained to her, I can't. That's not the way the rules work here. I'm not going to get a fine so that you don't have to walk. And she asked me, how do I get there? And I have to confess, I don't know. Like, and I'm thinking, like, okay, you clearly speak English. You are not helpless. I suggest ask a police officer. They will be happy to help you. She hangs up on me. She doesn't even say goodbye. Like, I look at my phone because I don't hear anything. I see this bitch has hung up on me. So I'm thinking, like, okay, that was kind of rude. All right. Well, a few more minutes go by, and she calls again, and she's even more flustered. And I say, look, take your time, okay? I'm not going anywhere. I am going to be your ride. And in particular, I'm not going anywhere because I don't want to burn $8 on this, even if I cancel on you i'm still gonna lose the eight dollars and this will be a negative trip so take your time I'm, I'm not going anywhere well she's still she's all huffy and then she hangs up on me again well maybe about 10 more minutes go by before this woman in these oversized chanel sunglasses and like a black designer outfit with like three big heavy bags comes out and like her if here's the description i use in the book and i love this description that i used if Crayola Crayons had a new shade called Inconvenienced, her face would have been scribbled in it. She comes marching over to me, and, you know, I'm very friendly to her, and I ex I apologize, and I explain how inconvenient it is. And she just, uh, uh-huh, drops the bags on my feet, gets in the car, slams the door, not a word to me. So I'm thinking, like, okay, this lady's a bitch, whatever. And then I start the trip. I had not been charging her for the time, and I even showed her this just as, like, a gesture of good faith. It didn't even register with her. So I load up her bags, and we're driving away, and we're going. she's going to downtown Minneapolis. And she goes, it's hot back here. Turn the air conditioning on. Okay. Have you ever been here before, I asked? No, she says. 
okay. Well, it gets very hot here in the summer. And I look back, and she's looking out the window. She has given me a command, and that's it. Like, I no longer deserve her attention. So then she whips out her phone. She dials, and she I don't speak any French. Well, actually, that's not true. I can say two things in French. And it's because there were two foreign exchange students from France in my high school that I was kind of friendly with. So they taught me, devour my bit, which is devour my dick, and cease my bit, which is suck my dick. I think. I guess I haven't really verified this. But these are the only two words I know in French. Anyway, so she's she's speaking on the phone in French, and I hear the word Uber come up a few times. Like she's, I could tell she's complaining about me to whoever she's talking to. Whatever. I'm just whatever, lady. So this it's it's rush hour traffic, right? Getting from the airport to downtown Minneapolis during sweltering rush hour traffic can be such a fucking headache. It can take upwards of like an hour. It's not even that far. If it wasn't rush hour, it would take like 15 minutes. Um, so I'm using Waze, the navigation app. And although I mean I'm using Waze, I know I know the shortcut. Okay, we're gonna take Highway 55 which is a straight shot to downtown instead of, like, 35, which will be way backed up. But we're going to get off of 55, maybe about a mile into driving on it, and take the side roads because we can – it's way more scenic. You drive along the Mississippi River, and you can cut through traffic because, like, there's no traffic on the Mississippi side road. So I exit off, and I'm on this, this beautiful day, by the way. So this, this side road, which is normally scenic, is like in the summer like this, it's beautiful. Like this is when you need to be seeing this this area of the town. But, of course, beauty doesn't register with this woman. She's I notice she's like kind of looking around like very puzzled. And she goes, where, where are you taking me? And I go, well, I like tapped on the phone. I go, we're going to downtown Minneapolis. She goes, why, why are you taking this way? And I go, because if you look to your left, Colette, you can see that that's a traffic jam. We are we are cutting that on the side road. She goes, no, you need to get back on the highway. This isn't the right way. This is a woman, by the way, who has never been here before by her own admission. This is her first time in town. She's telling me that I'm taking the wrong way. So I go, Colette, I've been doing this full time for several years. I know where I'm going. And she takes out her phone again. She just like she, this clearly pisses her off. And she just takes out her phone again and dials and just starts talking in French to someone. And I hear Uber, Uber, Uber. She's again, she's complaining about me. And I'm like, like, I'm saving you money. I'm saving you time. We're taking a beautiful route. What the fuck is wrong with you? So to appease her, I get back onto the highway, and then she starts complaining about the traffic jam. And it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, lady, are you kidding me? So finally, when we get to downtown Minneapolis, she's still complaining about the traffic jam, and she's like, where are your shortcuts? And I go, it's downtown Minneapolis at 430 on a weekday. Okay, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, no matter where you're going. Well, I take her into – she's staying in this, like, condo area. It's a very rich area in downtown Minneapolis. And she – again, she's just been so fucking rude to me this whole time and so bitter to me. And I have been nothing but warm and kind and done everything in my power to make this the best ride possible. So we get uh, – like, we get to her destination and – I go to unload the bags for her. Like, I go to my trunk. I get the bags, and I put them at her feet. And she just grabs the bags, walks past me, and goes into the house. She doesn't close the door. She, like, just storms past me. as just, like, the biggest, like, fuck you she can give me. And I'm just so bewildered as to how this woman could be so, so fantastically rude to me. So I finally, I just yell, Claudette, cease me bit, divorce me bit. And I jump in my car, and I... 
burn rubber in this driveway and I tear out. So, okay, admittedly, maybe the last leg of our interaction had merited that hostility. But up until then, come on, this woman was so rude, she single-handedly lowered my opinion of the French. But I would say, in general, probably the best way to piss me off as a rideshare driver was just to be rude to me. So we'll talk about something next that I actually, I hadn't thought about this in a long time until I was looking over the notes for this episode and I came across the story. And even just looking at it right now, it's causing me to wince with annoyance a little bit. So here's the story. This happened right when I first started driving. It was one of my first trips. I pick up these two guys in northeast Minneapolis. They're in like their like late 20s. One's black, one's white, and they, they're just like cool guys. We listen to hip-hop. We're talking about music. It was kind of a welcome reprieve in the day when I had been driving. Like I had been driving during the day on this day. This was like it's like probably 7 or 8 p.m. when I picked them up. So it's day clientele turning to night clientele, and I'm enjoying the conversation. And the white guy who was the one buying the ride, he looked like he looked like he'd been thrown off a vanilla ice video. Like he he just looked ridiculous. So he gets out first, and then he has me take his friend home, and it's on his account. So you know it's it's all paid for. And as I'm driving the other one home, the other one's telling me about his dad. And his dad works in the music business and makes a lot of money. Now, I had been doing music videos myself with some local rappers. And I was starting to build quite a portfolio at this time. My angle was I wrote the screenplays for the videos. Or, like, I wrote the stories. In fact, if you go on YouTube right now, if you go on my YouTube channel, you can see some of the stuff I made. My favorite one, it's a video called Number One Hustler. And it's by OG Grip. He's a Minnesota rapper. Okay, anyway. So I'm telling, uh, I'm telling this guy in my backseat, the guy's name is Keys, telling Keys about my music videos and stuff, and I give him a Stone Arch Entertainment business card, which I kept in the center council. Stone Arch Entertainment is my production company. Well, as Keys is getting out, he says that he'll be looking up my stuff, and he'll hit me up because he, like his father, is a music producer, and I don't know, it seems like it's going to be a good match, or like it was wise of me to give him my business card. Well, the next day, kind of late in the night, Keys hits me up. He just asks, you up? It's a text message. And I text him back, yeah, did you look up my stuff? And he texts me back, yeah, pretty good. Are you down to give me a ride? So I think, okay, fuck it. Well, he doesn't want any business, but he wants to pay me to give him a ride. And I we negotiate a fee of 20 bucks. So I go, I pick him up at his house in St. Louis Park. This was when I was living in Edina. I take him to the University of Minnesota. And as I'm driving back, he texts me again. He wants a ride home. And it's like, dude, like, I'm already driving back. Like, well, why can't you just call an Uber? Okay, fine. Well, I turn around. I go and I pick him up. He pays me another $20. So I've given him a ride to the U of M and back for 40 bucks. That's basically that's like Uber at 1.8 times the rate. Okay, it's pretty profitable. Well, the next day he texts me again and he wants a ride again. And so this kind of, I basically become an unlicensed cab for this guy. And at first, it seems great. He texts, I go pick him up. He doesn't live that far. He only lives like four miles from me. But his rides are generally in the city. They're pretty close. And he always pays me 20 bucks. But the problem is, this guy's a fucking airhead. He will text me all hours of the day. So there's like, where I first started to get annoyed with this. I had been out driving. I had gotten home at like 1230. It was like a Wednesday night. So it's very late, and I'm cooking a dinner for myself. And so I'm midway through cooking, and he texts, and he wants a ride. And it's like I had never refused him. So I drop what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of cooking. I drop what I'm doing. I go, and I pick him up. And then as I'm driving back again, he wants a ride again. And he's like, his communication skills suck. Or in other events, 
He'll text me and he'll want to ride. And then he won't respond to me for like three hours. And then he'll suddenly be like, where the hell are you? He might want to ride in three minutes. He might want to ride in five hours. It's like I'm supposed to clear my entire schedule for him. And then he figures out that by calling me at bar close, he can save himself some money because paying me $20 is a hell of a lot cheaper than catching an Uber or a Lyft at bar close because that'll be double the price. So my most profitable time block of the entire week, this guy's chewing up for a discount ride. But it gets worse. He starts giving out my phone number to other people. And I mean, I'm starting to not like him by this point. But these people that he gave my phone number to, I only drove each of them a handful of times. And I, I could not stand them. They were all so rude or just so like they had no concept of what was going through in my end. Or they would get stingy with me about the price. There was this one girl that he gave my number to named Savannah. She went by Savvy. And on my first ride with her, I go, so what do you do? She goes, I'm trying to be famous. I go, oh, that's cool. You know, I'm trying to get into screenwriting. You know, kind of thinking she's, she means she's trying to get into entertainment. And so I go, so what can you do? Can you sing? No. Can you act? No. Can you write? No. Can you draw? No. Then how do you expect to be famous? And she looks at me like, ah. Like, oh, yeah, you're bound for the stars, all right. She was my version of a stuck-up bitch. So that pissed me off. But the the straw, interestingly, that broke the camel's back with him with keys and every single one of his contacts who I ended up blocking, like I just blocked their phone numbers. Keys would do this thing where he would, and this just, it spoke volumes to me. He'd eat a piece of gum, but he'd throw the wrapper on the floor. Like, as soon as he got in the car, he would pull out a piece of gum, or like a stick of gum, Pull it out of the tinfoil wrapping, put it in his mouth. Like, the, you know, the chewing didn't bother me with the mesophonia. But then I just watch him just discard this trash on my floor. And just, it kind of didn't even register with him. And it's just like, if this is what you think of me, like, you think I'm just a fucking garbage can for you, then fuck you. I'm not going to do this anymore. So I ended up, I blocked him. I blocked all of his contacts. And then I wrote about them. I almost wish it had happened later in my career as I grew more bold. Because I would have done something a lot more interesting than some passive aggressive. Like, ooh, I'm blocking you. I would have, like, told him off to his face or taken him, like, 150 miles an hour to Scarab or something like that. But after that, that was the last time that I gave out my personal information to be an off-the-books cash-only driver. Because, like, lots and lots and lots of people asked me about it afterward. And I knew, like, if I give you my number, you're going to just be calling me at bar close because you want a cheaper ride. Or, like, you're going to call me on New Year's or something like that. So, yeah, people would ask, and I would just say, no, I can't do that. I don't have commercial insurance, which is true okay listeners we're gonna do one final story and we'll call it quits for this episode so i've actually i've got one two three four five i've got five more stories that fit into i hate you but the thing is these people who i hate they're just they're being really dumb too and i'm looking through my notes here and i've got an episode coming up to give you a little preview it's it's going to be called idiots of the back seat or i think it will be anyway so that's people just doing really dumb shit, and I think I'm going to move most of these stories into that because it's more, they're being stupid than I hate them. I mean, this one lady who's really, I've got one lady who goes on a racist tirade who I absolutely hated, but what she was saying was so fucking wildly stupid that I'm going to save it for that. But one who will not be escaping my hatred for this episode, it's trip 6310, and it's called You Will Remember Me. It's the winter, and I pull up to the Herkimer Pub on Lindale, and I'm waiting for a passenger named LJ. Now, outside of the Herkimer, I notice two guys come out. One of them 
they're both really drunk, and one of them has got his lit phone in his hand. I can see the Uber app. He's probably my ride. So he looks at me, and he, like, points to his friend and, like, points to me, like, indicating to his friend, like, oh, hey, there's my ride. But then instead of getting in the car, he reaches into his pocket, and he fishes out a cigarette, lights it up, and just starts smoking a cigarette. So it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? My time is worthless. I'll just sit here and wait for you to finish that. Now, as I've said before, Uber does pay you on time for waiting, but it's like... If you caught, if you make the driver wait like four or five minutes, they get like a quarter or something. So it's like kind of, it's not even worth it to him. Fast forward three minutes later, LJ finishes his cigarette, flings it away, comes stumbling into the car and just slurs, you know what to do. And I don't know why I made him sound like Buffalo Bill. He did not sound like Buffalo Bill, but he was really drunk. And the smell of whiskey overcomes my nostrils in the car. Like this guy, I mean, he's practically sweating booze. We're, go- we're not going too far. We're just going up Lindale Avenue to where his house is. So as we start driving, he just starts talking. He doesn't even say anything to me, really. He just says, so, so check this out. LJ starts describing this situation to me, but he's so drunk I can only pick out little pieces of the details that he's giving me. He's got a choice. The choice is he can spend $40,000 to make $2 million, but fuck some friends over in the process. And he's asking me what I should do. What he's really doing and what I have been privy to countless times before is he's the passenger who's got something going on in his life and he thinks it's really cool. So he wants to share with his random Uber driver just how cool he is and how exciting he is and this awesome thing that's going on in his life. Whoa, I wish I had the option to make $2 million by spending 40000 and possibly fucking over some friends. I'm just a lowly Uber driver and nothing exciting happens to me. Shucks, LJ, you sure are cool. Or at least that's probably what he wanted me to think. The reality was, I thought he was a loser because he was so fucking drunk. And when he tells me this story, I mean, I wouldn't fuck my friends over for anything. They're my friends. So it's having the opposite effect that he intended it would have on me. But I'm not I'm not saying or doing anything to indicate that I don't like him. I'm just being quiet and listening. But here's the real dilemma I hear him say. I'm dying. Now he's got my attention because I think, wait, wait, what? And I repeat to him, you're dying. What do you mean? And he goes, my lungs and my liver are failing me. And I'm thinking, like, I just witnessed you stumble out of a bar, wolf down a cigarette, and fall into this car practically bleeding whiskey. On top of that, you told me a situation where you're going to fuck your friends over. At least you're thinking about it. You are so far from striking anything close to a sympathy chord right now. Man, it's not even funny. And at this time, I passed under a streetlight, and I looked at myself in my rearview mirror like I caught my own reflection. And I saw, like... I didn't even realize it. I just had this disgusted look on my face. So I hear him say, what do you think I should do? And it's just like, like, I don't want to be rude to you because he might still tip me. Like we have, I've said next to nothing to this guy. So I'm going to just continue saying next to nothing and just not be interesting or have any reaction to what he's telling me whatsoever. He goes, again, because I didn't respond to him. What should I do? Come on. And I go, I don't know, man. Flip a coin. That's what I do. It's the most benign thing I can possibly say that's not inflammatory to him. So he says back, No, you don't understand. I've had a crazy life, bro. So crazy, so exciting, and this is how I might cap it off? If I do this, I'll get huge from it. Bigger than anyone, bro. So I'm still not sure what he's referring to. Like, he told me the details of the story, but by the time he had gotten to these details, I like I, just, I hated this guy so much that I wasn't even listening. So he says... You know who I am, kid? Check this out. I've got Michael Bay on speed dial. And he's holding up his phone. Like, I'm not looking, but he's holding it up. Like, as if, like, you know, look. Now, as a person who respects the art of film, what this guy said to me was about the worst possible thing he could have said. 
minus Bad Boys 2. I love that movie. I just keep quiet, though. And as we round the corner to arrive at his house, he goes, so are you gay? And like, I don't know where he asked this. And I respond, yeah, mostly. I was operating on idle pilot, and I had forgotten my filter, because normally I wouldn't have told a guy like this. And he goes, do you have another ride lined up? And I go, not yet. And he goes, well, how about we continue this discussion inside? What do you say? And I just go, I don't think so. Have a nice night. He leans closer, and he goes, come on, 200 bucks just to come inside. What do you say? And I'm thinking to myself, well, this could be an easy $200. This guy's drunk. He's an idiot. I could just pocket the money and walk out the door and say, fuck you. Well, I turn around and I look into his eyes and I'm, I have not looked into his eyes yet. And now that I am, uh, I was getting a bad vibe right away. So I just flatly, I just go, no, thank you. Have a nice evening. And this guy cannot believe that I won't do it. And he goes, come on, $200, 200, come inside with me. And I just go, no, have a nice night. Get out of my car. Time to go. And he just, he can't believe that that money won't phase me or that the story won't phase me or that I don't think he's cool. And he just goes, ah, fool, you will remember me, Uber driver. You'll read about me and remember what a mistake this was. And he's like, there's fury in his eyes. And he slams the door and he goes flying out of the car and marching up to his house, or drunkenly stumbling up to his house, I should say. And I think to myself, indeed, I will remember this, LJ. Though just not as you intended. And with that story, listeners, that's going to do it for this edition of the Ubered Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kale, and I've got three books out. Ubered, My Life as a Rideshare Driver, Uber 2, and Wolf in the Jungle. They're all on Amazon. And if you live in the Twin Cities area, they're at the Hennepin County Library. Subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to rate it on whatever platform you are listening to it on. And tweet your questions at me or direct message me or use the hashtag Ubered Podcast. I'm going to be doing questions on the final episode. I look forward to what you guys come up with. Listeners, you have been Ubered. I'm Evan Kale, signing off. Uh-huh.